Father, thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you for loving us, taking care of us, and blessing Lauren, even though whatever it is that she just broke and ripped a sh- Oh, her glasses. She won't be able to see a thing tonight, Lord. Bless her anyway. Thank you for taking care of us, Father. No matter what happens, we know that you're in control. We can rest in that, and we do in Jesus' name. Amen. So how, how strong are they? You need really strong ones? or No. no? Here. Try, try these. I also have a kidney that can increase the font on I think it's good. Here's a couple of different pairs. Try, try them both on, see what you think. But don't break them. <laughs> so we just got into chapter two last week. We didn't get real far in our chapters one through three because we had some fantastic discussion. And I'm okay with that. Just so you know. Okay, because I told, I told Wendy I wasn't going to talk to him. <laughs> prove it. I don't believe it. I don't want it to be that way. So, uh, anyway, uh, Elisha and Elijah are walking. Uh, you know, he's going to be uh, taken away, and Elisha knows it. And so they're hanging out, and they uh, they walk, and the, you know, the flaming horses and chariots come down and separate them and carry Elijah away. Here's, here's a question to start out with. Why, of all the prophets throughout the Old Testament, why Elijah? You know, uh, others were martyred, died slow deaths, you know, all, all this other stuff happened to him. What was the deal with Elijah? Why was he just taken away? Any thoughts? I don't have an answer. It's just something... I don't know, but Enoch was taken away that same, the yep. same way. Enoch was, was taken away as well. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why either, Jane. <clears throat> Just something Some to think days about. when I kind of wish it would happen. Well, you know, and, and originally, you know, earlier in 1 Kings, Elijah prayed to die. You know, he says, "I'm the only one. Just take, just kill me now." You know, and uh, and then and then now, when the time comes, he doesn't die. God takes him away, right? Yeah. So we don't know. Don't have any idea. We do see him again, right? And we uh, we mentioned this last time uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration when uh, when Jesus is up there, Moses and uh, and Elijah are. Here in the Book of Revelation, isn't he one of the prophets that wants uh, to come back? I believe that could be a possibility too. I haven't read Revelations in a while, so. Yeah, I don't know why, but I think I. Uh, I know there's some prophets that are coming back, and I thought he was one. Sure. Well, that's a possibility. No, there's two, and they believe that it's Enoch and Elijah because it's appointed for every man to die once. Right. They hadn't died yet. Right. Until the second half of the three and a half years after, I think, the seven bold judgments. Okay. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. They die, and then they're taken back. So it's possible that it's that more. Well, here, here's something else. One, uh, one of the things I was reading uh, said that perhaps, you know, since Jesus plainly said, you know, centuries after this, that uh, you know, no one has ascended into heaven, but He who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, 
where was Elijah? I mean, you know, did he go up to heaven with God or what? You know, um, some say that Elijah was taken away to a safe and peaceful place where he just, you know, died on his own. Um, uh, but, you know, if he were just going to die, might as well just have him do it there, right? Instead of sweeping him off somewhere. And, uh, you know, we see here in a few verses that guys on the, that were on the other side of the river, they all went out looking for him, sent a bunch of guys out looking for him, and they couldn't find him. I have a theory that I didn't get to last week. See, tell me what you think about this, okay? Time travel. No, no. Think about this. I'm serious. Elijah hops into the chariot. They take off. They rush through time and space to the Mount of Transfiguration. Where he's not dead yet. He just goes straight from right here where he is with Elisha. Boom, to there, hanging out with Jesus on top of that mountain for a while. And then goes up to heaven after, which would have been after what Jesus said, right? Here's here's the thing. If God truly is and operates outside of creation, which includes time and space, why couldn't that be an option? Well, um, the same thing happened to Stephen. Yep. So why couldn't it be the same thing? Yeah. You know, I I'm not saying that's the case. This is the uh, you know not the gospel according to Greg. It's just the uh, you know, and I've uh, I just don't think time travel. I don't think it got no the reason though. But why not? I, think I mean, if I think if he's if he's outside of everything though, and can see the beginning from the end, I mean, he sees the whole thing. I mean, why not just? Move one guy from here to here. Transported she Philip. Doesn't. The Holy Spirit right. transported Philip. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that had to be out yeah, of time and space to just be one yeah. place and all of a sudden be someplace else. So, uh, wouldn't that be cool? Be some kind yeah. of transport. Uh, yeah. Why not? I guess it's a possibility. Just a theory. No, he could do that just like some right. I think of a machine. Which oh, right, yeah, like H.G. Wells. Or, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, me too. It's a stumbling block for him. <laughs> and that was Philip, right, not Stephen, that was taken, right? Yeah. Okay, I said Stephen. After he met as a eunuch or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's plausible. Uh, just because, like with Paul, when he was taken to the third heaven. Sure. It's like, you know... God didn't want him to be able really to reveal everything that he saw. And for uh, Elijah, maybe it's like, okay, we're going to stop here, and then we'll take you up, and then you're not coming back, because some of this is just a mystery sure. until we get to the later parts. Right. Mm-hmm. So we can't handle it. It's pretty you can't cool. handle the truth. That's what I'm thinking. That's right. <laughs> I'm right there with you. And that was, you know, that's just something that, you know, you can have fun thinking about at 3 o'clock in the morning when you wake up and pray about it. See if God gives you an answer and report back to me, okay? Because I think it's a cool idea. It is. I like it. But, uh, and, and I didn't come up with it. I, you know, I've heard that in a couple other places. So I just like it. <clears throat> so meanwhile, back at the ranch, though, uh, Elijah... His, uh, his master, his teacher, you know, the guy he's uh, dedicated to serving his life to has been taken away and Elisha's, you know, he's there and he says that he, uh, he rips his coat, you know, 
which uh, we mentioned last time is kind of a common expression of pain, sorrow, lamenting, uh, loss, and what have you. Uh, but then you think about, and, and I don't remember if I mentioned this last week, but you go back and you think about when Elisha became Elijah's servant, he destroyed the yoke that he was plowing with, killed the ox, you know, and, and cooked it and served it up and everything. Uh, basically getting rid of all the old life to go to the new life, right? And uh, he was never going to go back. Maybe kind of the same thing here, because he's never going back to being the servant anymore. He's going to be the prophet now. Get rid of his coat, because then he takes Elijah's coat and puts it on and, and continues then to walk uh, as prophet instead of the prophet's servant. So, just more symbolism, something to think about. But then, uh, you know, in verse 13 it says, Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Remember when uh, when Elijah first invited Elisha to join him? What did he do? He took that cloak and put it over his shoulders. as While he was plowing, the, you know, you guys that weren't here uh, last week, but you know, when, when he was plowing with, with the oxen, he took and he put that cloak over him. And, uh, and then, you know, that's when he came and, and then he said, you know, let me take care of a couple of things and I'll be right with you. Um, that was uh, a way, you know, of uh, a promise to Elisha that he would become the prophet. Now that Elisha's gone, Elijah had gone to heaven, all that was left here was his coat, right? That was, uh, that was a sign of his authority. Uh, nobody else dressed like that. People, uh, you know, recognized Elijah by the coat in the first chapter. They said, uh, you know, when, uh, when he went back and the guys reported back to the king, they said, what is he wearing, you know? Uh, and so they recognized him by what he was wearing. So Elisha took that, he wore it. Now he was uh, recognized in the same thing as Elijah. He had the same authority that he had. Um, he didn't need to keep the coat that he tore because he wore that as Elijah's servant. He destroyed that link to his previous occupation. He was the prophet now. And that, uh, that coat you know, was an outward symbol that uh, he was doing the same thing as Elijah. He was dressed for success. Right? Ready to do uh, do what he was supposed to be doing now, a new thing for God, which was continuing on in what Elijah did. So, you know, Elisha struck the water. God acted the exact same way that he did when Elijah had done the same thing. The, you know, Elijah wrapped up his thing. His last miracle was basically the same thing as Elisha's first one. Uh, one was taken up where the other one left off. <clears throat> Then, uh, in the next few verses, uh, the company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, don't send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. 
So he, had, he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to him, didn't I tell you not to go? I like that answer. <laughs> Told you it was going to be a waste. Don't just Yeah, <laughs> why bother? Uh, you know, the men from this group of prophets or this, uh, this community there uh, gave honor to Elisha when he came back, just like they had given to Elijah. Um, but, you know, they had not crossed the river. They hadn't been there. You know, they saw something happening, but uh, they had not seen God take Elijah up to heaven. So they asked Elisha, hey, let, let us go look for him. Maybe we can find him. They weren't maybe fully convinced with Elisha yet, though. Uh, you know, they must have not respected him completely or they weren't convinced maybe that everything was on the up and up. Uh, you know, at the very least, you think you might have to check out this new guy just to make sure, right? I mean, uh, what happened when the second in command wanted to be the main one in command, worldly-wise at the time? You know, all the way up through history. Oh, no, that's right. Get rid of the guy ahead of you, and then you take his place, right? Maybe they were suspicious. I don't know. Even, uh, you know, they 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 just saw the the chariot. They they weren't there to see him take it up, but they saw something going on over there, uh, and they commented it. But uh, you know, in the end, Elisha said, "Go ahead," and of course, they didn't find him. I'm guessing that they were probably sincere, but maybe had a little bit of a lack of faith in the new guy, perhaps. I don't know. They knew what God was doing because, uh, you know, in verse 5, they, uh, they said, you know, God's going to take him away today, right? But uh, maybe they didn't really trust God to do that. Uh, of course, in the end, they found out he was right. And uh, when they did, they were ready to trust him. And they wanted him to use God's power on their behalf because in uh, verse 19, Elisha staying in Jericho, the people of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. What happened to the water there? You remember? Uh, Joshua had spoken a curse against Jericho um, uh, back in Joshua chapter 6. And nothing good will ever yeah, you know, build on, on yeah. the side anymore. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the men from the city explained to Elisha about their water being bad. They had seen that Elisha, like Elijah, had God's power. So they asked him, uh, hey, buddy, uh, you want to help us? And so Elisha says, bring salt to me in a new bowl. He put the salt in the water at the spring and it became pure. How does that work? By God's power. Well, well, exactly right. Because salt in your water is not the way to make it drinkable, right? Not even if it's a bowl of salt in a spring of water. I mean, it's that's not generally what you thought. But, you know, Elisha said, bring me a brand new bowl and bring me some salt. Maybe he was testing their faith. Uh, I assume that a new bowl wasn't, you know, I mean, 
it was a new bowl. It wasn't an old chip bowl with, you know, cereal crusted around the inside of it and what have you. Uh, you know, you wanted a new one, a nice bowl. It was going to cost them something. A new bowl wasn't, you know, cheap. It wasn't something that you have laying around and, and use all the time. It's new something. And uh, salt, you know, uh, was often precious too. At one point in time, I, uh, I remember reading that uh, Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt. Uh, that's why you're, you know, worth your salt when you're doing something. Uh, so, you know, he was he was going to help them, but it was going to cost them something, and they were going to have to be obedient. By uh, by their actions, they would show whether they were willing to obey God or not. And the people in the city were, and uh, then the, because of that, they trusted him and were obedient and were free from the curse. So that's cool stuff. That's very cool stuff. Now we come to the fun part. <laughs> now we come to the, the the meat and the potatoes or something. I don't know. Uh, verse 23 from there Elisha went up to Bethel and as he was walking along the road some boys came out of the town and jeered at him get out of here baldy they said get out of here baldy he turned around and looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys and he went on to Mount Carmel from there and returned to Samaria <laughs> so here's the thing. What's well, that's right? It was two bears, and uh, you know, Elisha wanted to to help Israel and rescue it from their sins. Right? I mean, that's what uh, that's what the prophets were to do to you know help them and and point out stuff to them and tell them how to get out of it. Uh, you know, just like he had already done just now at Jericho, he wanted to free them from their curses that were the results of their sins. So he goes from Jericho to Bethel. And there are some boys, or some translations actually say little children, made fun of the fact that he was bald and bears came out of the woods and attacked them. Obviously, we all need to learn a lesson there to, you know, not mock bald people. Okay. You would take that out of the house. <laughs> yes, I would, Jane. Be nice to the bald guy, okay? No matter how long his ponytail is. Uh, this always bothered me every time I read it. <laughs> how crazy is this, right? I mean, it's stuck in there. That just never seemed right to me. And, you know, after studying it a little bit, which, you know, I was always too lazy to do before until I had to teach it. Because um, it just seemed so oddball and just, like Kelly said, dumped in the middle of, you know, all this and didn't make any sense at all. Uh, part of the problem here might be translation because the Hebrew word translated as boys or little children uh, in other places in the New Old Testament... <coughs> It's used when referring to Isaac when he was 28 years old, or Joseph when he was 39. Same word that was used when uh, when they were talking about Jesse's sons. Um, the same word that was used uh, for the Sodomites who was atta- were attacking Lot's house when uh, when the uh, angels came. 
little children, you know, uh, in this particular instance doesn't mean the cute little guy in his Buzz Lightyear costume on your front steps last week. You know, it wasn't little kids. Uh, it was a fairly large group because it had to be more than 42, right? Uh, for, uh, it was a fairly large group of uh, guys from a town that was famous for its idols. Jeroboam had made these idols so that people wouldn't worship the Lord up in Jerusalem. This talks about that in 1 Kings 12. Uh, so, you know, these guys from Bethel uh, probably loved their false gods and they were mocking God's prophet. They were uh, they were laughing at him. Matthew Henry says that observe the miracle of healing the waters. Prophets should make every place to which they come better for them, endeavoring to sweeten bitter spirits and to make barren souls fruitful by the word of God, which is like the salt cast into the water by Elisha. It was an apt emblem of the effect produced by the grace of God on the sinful heart of man. Whole families, towns, and cities sometimes have a new appearance through the preaching of the gospel. Wickedness and evil have been uh, changed into fruitfulness in the works of righteousness, which are through Christ to the praise and glory of God. Here is a curse on the use of Bethel, enough to destroy them. It was not a curse causeless, for it was Elisha's character as God's prophet that they abused, that bade him go up, reflecting on the taking up of Elijah into heaven. The prophet acted by divine impulse. If the Holy Spirit had not directed Elisha's solemn curse, the providence of God would not have followed it with judgment. The Lord must be glorified as a righteous God who hates sin and will reckon for it. Let young persons be afraid of speaking wicked words, for God notices what they say. Let them not mock at any for defects in mind or body, especially it is at their peril if they scoff at any for well-doing. Let parents that would have comfort in their children train them up and do their utmost betimes to drive out the foolishness that is bound up in their hearts and what will be the anguish of those parents at the day of judgment who witness the everlasting condemnation of their offspring occasioned by their own bad example, carelessness, or wicked teaching. That's harsh stuff there. But Kelly, which one was that, Matthew? Matthew, yeah, Matthew Henry's commentary. So, yeah, they were, uh, you know, they were mocking God's prophet and uh, not merely insulting him. By, by doing that, they were insulting God as well. Uh, you know, by proxy. What uh, what did we learn in chapter one? You know about messing with God through His prophets. You know when uh, when Elijah was dealing with the king uh, and the captains of King Ahaziah or Ahaziah. Remember that when the fifty of them? Yeah, the fifty guys came up, fire torched them. You know, came up again. You do what you're told now. Fire, right? It's not good to uh, to mess with God or Mother Nature, depending on you know your age and the commercials you watched when you were growing up. Or God's ambassador. That's true. It's not good it's to mess with God's ambassador. ambassador. That's exactly right. That's true. Uh, you know, and and this whole thing wasn't just because they were calling him baldy. Okay. You know, uh, this uh, this translation I read said, uh, "Get out of here." Others say, "Go up." They could have been uh, mocking it the way, uh, you know, 
Elijah went up to heaven. They, you know, or you know, they could have doubted and thought that that wasn't the case. But you know, um, you know, if if they were mocking that, that's not something Elijah did, right? That was something God did. Uh, so you know, you don't want to be laughing at God's deeds. But you know, the the baldy thing. Not that there's anything wrong with being bald, right? Uh, but the uh, you know priests of a lot of religions uh, would shave their heads, right. or or at least parts of their heads. Uh, and God warned His people, "Don't imitate this. Don't don't be like these people." Uh, so when they called him a bald man, they could have been insulting him, saying that you know you're the same as our priests. You're you're doing the same thing as as you know our guys with our idols are. You don't know. Uh, also, another meaning uh, possibly for the phrase "go up." Uh, the idols, you know, on the temples and stuff, were usually on the hills above the town. Uh, so, you know, they could have been uh, saying something, uh, you know, like uh, "go up," you know, to heaven if you can, or otherwise go up and worship our idols. You always look already look like our priests. You know, you can go up and, and do something there. Uh, your religion is no better than ours. Basically, right, and and he didn't defend himself necessarily. Uh, Elisha spoke in the Lord's name you know, or behalf of the Lord, just like uh, uh, just like Joshua had done at Jericho. He you know called that curse onto the city. It wasn't you know something that he wanted to do. It was it was you know through the the name of the Lord that uh, that he did that. Uh, but you know, in Bethel there, Elisha couldn't do anything to help him like it, that he did in Jericho. The uh, the opposite is what happened. Um, these men were insulting God, mocking His prophet, uh, acting you know completely opposite of the way the folks at Jericho did. And they said, "Hey, you're the man of God. Can you know? Would you would you help us?" Instead, these guys are insulting and mocking and uh, and offending God. And because of that, 42 of these guys, you know, got mauled by bears, and it right. was a horrible thing. I think what's interesting, too, is, you know, my translation says, and two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Sure. And, uh, I mean, you know it's got to be the hand of God, because just two female bears alone would, exactly. would struggle to, I mean, in that part of the region, you're not talking about grizzlies or kodiaks, they're probably... A simple black bear. Sure. Even if they did have cubs and were very protective, I mean, I, I would guess that they could probably get six or eight of them. But it would have to be ordained by God to say, hey, "Let's purge these boys." Or right. and my translation also says, you know, they're youth, so you know, whatever, right. whatever that really the theoretically is. strong, you know, prime yeah. of their life kind of guys uh, that uh, they got attacked by two bears and. He was ugly. Yeah, and your translation for children is interesting too because Jesus actually refers to a bunch of us at times. Listen to me, you little children. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. more so than our age, maybe it was our capacity to understand. Uh, or our attitude. Yeah, exactly. True. Uh, Elisha learned a lesson here, though, I think. Um, you know, like Elijah had to learn back in First Kings, uh, Elisha 
discovered here that most people in Israel are not going to necessarily obey God, at least not fully. Uh, Elisha wasn't going to be able to remove all the sin from Israel. This, you know, was a clear display of that. Uh, he couldn't end the worship of the idols. He could only do what God sent him to and what God allowed him to do and what the people allowed him to do. Which, you know, is something that we can remember now, too. I mean, you know, I talk to a lot of people. We're not responsible for everything. We're responsible for what God, God has told us to do and what, you know, we just have to be obedient to that. We're not even responsible for the outcome. We're just responsible to be obedient. And then he takes care of it. So Elisha leaves after the uh, whole fun with bears thing and uh, goes to Mount Carmel where Elijah had uh, done his thing with uh, with all the priests. And then uh, then he goes on to Samaria. And he kind of hang, hangs out in this area uh, for a while, we'll see. But uh, guess what? We're to chapter three. <laughs> Sweet. That's awesome. We're cruising. Yeah, we are. We're flying. Doesn't seem right. So, uh, chapter three, verse one. Joram, son of Ahab, became the king of Israel in Samaria in the eighteenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned twelve years. I told you last week I had passed out a a chart with some kings and stuff like that. And I had told you that I had a better one that I hadn't had a chance to try to copy. I, uh, I copied it tonight. That's uh, you know it's still got the same guys, but uh, it's it's got a little bit more information. It's got um, it's got uh, the prophets and it's got the years and whether you were a good king and a bad king and just uh, a little bit more information and detail than the, than the one last week. So uh, and that just came right out of my Bible. Thank you, Greg. I thought it was thought it was enlightening. Help me, you know, when I'm looking at it to keep track of who was who and when and all that sort of stuff. So uh, Joram became king. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from that. So Joram was bad, but he removed an idol, you know, that uh, his father had set up, so he wasn't quite as bad as his dad, right? Um, we don't know when or why uh, he removed the idol. One, one theory is that maybe he did it, you know, to please Elisha, because uh, Elisha helped the king on several occasions. Um, we will find out here coming up. So that's that's a possibility. But, uh, you know, he wasn't as bad as his father Ahab and his mom Jezebel, but he still followed a false religion. Uh, eight kings before him, Jeroboam had set up images that were like young bulls, it says, and uh, so Joram continued to worship those idols. What is it with bulls? It's always... It's always bulls and calves. And, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Just something that popped into my head. That's why I can't be a Chicago Bulls fan, Jane, because uh, <laughs> I don't know Bulls fan. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> just the Chicago connection. Now that's why I can't. That's why. That's why I can't do the whole Chicago thing because they had the Bulls. I'm selective about which Chicago teams I cheer for. It's just teasing you. So in verse four it says, "Now Mesha, king of Moab, raised sheep." It's a, it's an occupation for a king, right? I I wonder if he actually raised them or if Moab was just uh, known for their sheep. But anyway, uh, Mesa, king of Moab, raised sheep, and he had to pay the king of Israel a tribute of a hundred thousand lambs and the wool of a hundred thousand rams. But after Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So at that time, King Joram set out from Samaria and mobilized all Israel. He also sent this message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? I will go with you, he replied. I am as you are. My people is your people. My horses, your horses. By what route shall we attack? He asked. So we actually mentioned this earlier uh, in uh, in Second Kings, but uh, Moab's king, the guy in charge there, had to pay a very large tax to Israel's king every year. And uh, when Mesha originally rebelled, Joram's older brother, uh, ha- uh, I can never get that right. Have I stumbled over that every time that I've tried to see it? Ahaziah, uh, or Ahaziah, there we go. Uh, when, when he originally rebelled, uh, he didn't do anything, or at least it doesn't mention it anyway. So now, uh, Joram, the uh, the king, uh, prepares to attack, and he asked uh, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, to help him. Now, if you look on the chart, in the uh, in the southern kingdom of Judah, Jehoshaphat is in bold. He was a good king. It's just something to remember. But uh, he was a good king that was loyal to God, but he had established a close relationship with some of the wicked kings who uh, who were in charge of Israel, uh, who belonged to Ahab's family. And uh, actually Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, married Athaliah, who was uh, Joram's sister, and in the end, the uh, close relationship that he had with these people who were wicked, uh, you know, would cause a lot of trouble in Judah, which hanging out with wicked people, if you're not really, really careful, will always seem to do is cause trouble, right? Um, so the two kings agreed that they would be united. They made their battle plans. Uh, they intended to go around and attack Moab from behind. Uh, Jehoshaphat advised Joram to go through the desert in Edom, which uh, meant that they could ask the ruler of Edom to help them too. So there would be uh, three gangs of them going after him. I guess Judah controlled Edom at this time, it says in 1 Kings. Uh, so all three of their armies could uh, could go together and then go after the one, uh, one army in Moab. So in uh, verse 9 it says, So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. 
What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Whoops. They needed to uh, needed to have logistics, didn't they? That's logistics. They needed better supply lines or better planning or something. They, they had intended to march around and attack them from the other side. And then they ran out of water. They must have expected to find water. Or, or the, you know, the stream in the area that the, that was supposed to be there ended up being dry or something, because they had three armies and a whole bunch of animals and and you know the stuff that they're bringing with them and they needed plenty of water and they didn't have any. Desperate. Uh, and then the king of Israel is afraid. He thought that the Lord had decided to ask act against them and uh, got it arranged for the armies to be in this hopeless situation. Did did it say anything about God telling him to do that? I didn't read that. I didn't read that anybody asked. <laughs> That's true. I'm not sure anybody asked. It doesn't say that he did. So, this point uh-huh. They're like, oh, sure, we've come out and did this, and now God's going to oh, kill us. Go it's like, well, what's God got to do with it? You haven't even talked to him about it until now, right? Isn't that the way, though? Don't we kind of do that sometimes? Uh, you know, oh, we're uh, charged out and, and flying and going, and uh, all of a sudden we get into a pinch, and we're like, what are you doing, God? And he's like, well, what are you doing? I didn't tell you to go there. But, uh, you know... He was afraid that, uh, you know, they were, when they were weak, the army of Moab was going to be able to just crush them. Now, another thing to think about is why do you think he would be worried about God being against him? An idol worshiper. Yeah, he, he must have known that he was doing something wrong, right? Well, I mean, Elisha's thing is like, well, what do, what do I have to do with you? I mean, yeah. why are you coming to me? Go to your father's prophets. Exactly. And go to your mother's prophets. Yeah. So, yeah. We Jane's reading ahead. <laughs> Jane's reading ahead. She's, no, that uh, was the verse before, the one you're on. Oh, right, 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 yeah. So... So Elisha already kind of set the tone for them by saying, why do I care about you? Go to those prophets. That's uh, the heck. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the king of Israel is without hope. He says, oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) Up the creek and it's dry. You know, so a paddle wouldn't even do you any good. Uh, King Jehoshaphat was not without hope, though, was he? Uh, he uh, probably could have realized that his actions had been foolish uh, in agreeing to support an evil king. Bye. Thanks, Kelly. Bye, Kelly. Uh, but, you know, this wasn't the first time that he's made this error, too. He did it in First Kings, too. Uh, but Jehoshaphat had taken his army into the desert, uh, a dangerous place, you know, especially for a large group of people to be, especially when you don't have enough water. 
Uh, and, you know, in addition, I'm assuming that Jehoshaphat probably must not have asked God if that's what he's supposed to be doing either when, when he decided to go. I doesn't say that he did. It doesn't say he didn't, but now they're out there in the middle of nowhere with nothing. I would have thought they'd be pretty confident because they formed a coalition. They had this little United exactly little United Nations things going. Hey, mm-hmm. you know, come on, come on board. Right. And maybe I don't think they even thought about the consequences. Maybe they got arrogant and thought, you know, we're just going to go kick their ass and we'll be done with it. Go. Nobody would think that, would they? I would. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, possibly, I mean, you know, the three of us, we got nothing to worry about. These guys are, you know, I mean, you look sheep herders. It, it's a kingdom of sheep herders, right? I mean, it's, come on. It's a great example. It's just like uh, Israel's like, nothing's going to be able to come against them. The forces of Gog and Magog, they're mm-hmm. in a, they have multiple numbers of people, right? Just like these guys, they thought, well, we're safety in numbers, we're just going to go do this thing. Yeah. Why ask God about it? I mean, we got this, right? That's right. We don't need him, we got this covered. Yeah. We can handle this on our own. No problem. So, I mean, I don't know, I did. We got the bulls in the temple, too. I mean, <clears throat> at no other point before they actually acted on anything did they really seek God's approval, which maybe they should have. I mean, since they are maybe. idol worshipers. Well, right. <laughs> But it was Jehoshaphat who was the, a God-worshipping king. Yes, who yes. Saying, mm-hmm. Hey, where's God's prophet? Right, and you know, as, we're, as we're we just we're in trouble. Let's stop now and go find the prophet. Yeah, and as we just pointed out, he screwed up in the past too. But the key being, yes, he uh, he was loyal to God. He trusted God, and uh, and finally decided, oh, maybe you know, God, maybe we should talk to find out about it. Right, finally. At last, Jehoshaphat, yeah, is uh, ready to ask God for some advice. And uh, a servant of Joram told the three kings that Elisha was around. Interesting that God arranged to make sure that his prophet was right in the area, right? So the, uh, he would be available when the kings wanted to see him. But he's like this brand new prophet. They haven't mm-hmm. even really tested him yet. Well, I guess they're about to, aren't they? So, you know, by, by that one action of wanting to see him, they were showing humility, weren't they? Finally, at some point, at, to, to some degree anyway. Uh, they, uh, it says that the kings went to see him. Usually a king would order a prophet, you know, like uh, like they did in, in chapter 1. Hey, prophet, come see the king. He wants you down here now, right? Bad news. Uh, but these three kings actually went to where Elisha was and went to, went to his tent to, uh, to talk to him. So, yeah, like Jane was saying in verse 13, Elisha said to the king of Israel, Why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. No, the king of Israel answered, Because it was the Lord who called us three kings to do, together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. Okay. Is that right? God told us to do this. Well, you know. Right, yeah. God brought us together to kill us. Uh, And, uh, you know, Elisha said, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. He says, You know what? I'm talking to you, but it's only because of this guy you got with you. Otherwise, you'd be on your own path. Um, bring me a harpist. 
I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's, a, yeah, that's the coup de grace there really? because mine says musician, so it's like, okay, yeah, well, bring me a musician. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, really? Somebody play. Yeah. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha, and he said, This is what the Lord says. I will fill this valley with pools of water. For this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. The next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there was water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. As we already said, uh, Elisha uh, made it fairly clear, didn't he, that uh, he didn't approve of uh, the king of Israel. Um, you know, because of the whole false god thing that Ahab and Jezebel had, uh, had been doing, and Joram, you know, continued to uh, to worship false gods. But you know, we obviously understood that when uh, when he said that to him, he didn't really mean that Joram should go pray to the false gods and ask them. Right? He was pointing out what the king already knew was that those gods weren't they they had no power. They had nothing to do for him. And uh, the king himself, you know, had to agree that only the Lord, the real God, could help him now. That's why he came to talk to Elisha in the first place. Elisha approved of Jehoshaphat, uh, who worshipped the real God. He was the one that trusted God to help him, so Elisha explained that he would pray on behalf of him. And, uh, you know, the whole music thing... And, and, and I'm a, I, I love music. I love all kinds of music. I love really loud, obnoxious, rowdy music. And, you know, I, I do, Lauren. I'm sorry. Yeah. You want to hear some? I can play you some. Uh, no, no, don't play me anything you like, please. <laughs> and, you know, I, but I, I, I just, music is just something that I, I have friends that it's just noise to them. They, they don't listen to music. They don't care about music. They, uh, it, it's just something that is there and doesn't mean anything to them. But I just dig music. And, you know, it can, it can move you. It can, it can cause you to be peaceful when you weren't. It can, it can help you, you know, get up when you're down. It can, you know, do so many things. Yeah, like David played the harp for Saul. Yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, you know, crazy all the time. Exactly. Yep, yep. And so, you know, Elisha asked for a musician to play that would, you know, quiet his soul. I don't, I don't know, you know, something to, to you know, just maybe he was hot because the king, uh, the worship of false idols came to him and he needed, needed something to, to soothe him and to calm him down so he could hear from God because he was so angry. I don't know. But, uh, you know, he said to bring a musician and he would receive God's message. And he did. He began to pray, and God gave him a message. God said he would do two things, right? He said he would provide plenty of water, and he said that they would win the battle. So they're going to get what uh, what they came from anyway. Uh, the water would supply proof that they would win the battle. Uh, they would overcome Moab completely, and uh, these things would also show the kings that, uh, you know, the Lord is the only real God. 
God was still trying to show them that He was real and that they should obey and follow Him, even though they, you know, at least at least one, probably two of the other ones weren't. Uh, you know, He was still trying to uh, to to get them and convince them that He is the guy. You know, what are you doing with these false gods? Why are you why are you doing this when you know I'm the guy? And he was still, you know, trying to show that to them and get them to change their mind. Uh, something I was thinking about when I was uh, reading this. It said that water flowed from the direction of Edom into the desert where the armies were camping. It said nothing showed that it might have rained. Um, you know, theoretically, there could have been a storm in the mountains or something that they couldn't see, and the water flowed down. But uh, the result was a whole lot of water for everything and uh, you know we'll see later that it you know practically covered the whole area um, it was a relief when they got it and everything it saved them because they were all going to die they had no water but I thought it was interesting that the water came from the south which you know when in the whole direction of things which which was the southern kingdom you know Israel and you know it was Israel who wanted to come out and, and do this whole battle in the first place and so you know they're the northern kingdom and the water came from the south up to where they were their salvation uh, came from the direction of where Judah would be in relation to them which you know southern kingdom northern kingdom their salvation uh, where did our salvation come Jesus, right, which was from the tribe of Judah, which you know, was from the south there. Just something that occurred to me as I was reading it. Could bear no significance whatsoever. Just made me uh, made me stop and think, so I figured I'd mention it. In addition, I think that indicates it could be a miracle because normally water doesn't go from I know we have a river in Minnesota mm-hmm. yep. where it does, but right. normally water travels from yep. north to south. True. Yep. Instead of the other direction. Hmm. Yeah. Well, what do you think of it that? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it might be nothing. It was just interesting to me as I was reading it and and trying to, you know, I'm not a geography guy, so I'd have to look at the map and, you know, okay, this was here and there. And, oh, look at that. That came up. And Jesus was from here and he, you know, just, I don't know. That was just my uh, my thing. It wasn't God's thing necessarily. Yeah, it's happened a couple times in Israel too where the land was without water and water from Edom. And actually recently on one of the science channels they talked about these underground springs that are under Israel and stuff and how they will spring forth and I think it's representative of uh, you know like the woman at the well drink from this water even when I'm thirsty again sure, yeah. talk about salvation and baptism and water is so important so much of this happens too by the Jordan River it's kind of cool I and mean, it's just seems refreshing and I mean, we're not there yet, but, you know, people on their side looked down at it, saw it red as blood. It's mm-hmm. like, they were tripping. It's like, oh, they're killing themselves. Right? Yeah. Which just blows me away when, when I read that, too. I mean, that's just cool. Let's, let's go ahead and let's get to it. 
Uh, all the Moabites had heard that the kings had come to fight against them. So every man, young and old, who could bear arms was called up and stationed on the border. When they got up early in the morning, the sun was shining on the water that wasn't there the night before. Uh, to the Moabites across the way with the red sun coming up, the water looked red like blood. That's blood, they said. Those kings must have fought and slaughtered each other. Now, to the plunder, Moab. Sweet, they killed themselves. Let's go get their stuff, right? But when the Moabites came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and fought them until they fled. And the Israelites invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. They destroyed the towns, and each man threw a stone on every good field until it was covered. They stopped up all the springs and cut down every good tree. Only Kir Hariseth was left with its stones in place. But men armed with slings surrounded it and attacked it. When the king of Moab saw that the battle had gone against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through to the king of Edom, but they failed. When he took his, then he took his firstborn son, who was to succeed him as king, and offered him as a sacrifice on the city wall. The fury against Israel was great. They withdrew and returned to their own land. There's a lot of stuff going on in those verses, isn't there? We already She's said, somewhat tired from all the tree chopping down. They didn't really have stones around. They didn't really have the greatest tools either. I mean, well, no chainsaw. Or, uh, no, no chainsaws at the time. Or having to clear the stones out of the field—that's a lot of hard work. Oh, yeah. They were doing the opposite. Yep, they were the throwing them back in. And it's just it covered all the. Uh, well, that's what it says. So they covered mm-hmm. all the good fields. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Wow. We had when when I uh, was a kid, our house. You know, part of the yard, I don't know what was the deal with it, but it was just all rocky and hard, and and we spent way too many uh, hot summer days down there in that corner of the yard picking up rocks and, and hauling them out of there so that, you know, we could have a decent lawn there. It was just miserable. So. Yeah, you guys are blessed in Minnesota. I grew up in Montana, and it's all rocky. Yeah. Oh, yeah, where, where I grew up, the good dirt... Was kind of a light brown color, <laughs> and the uh, the bad dirt looked like somebody had taken a brick house and just crumbled it up and scattered it out on the ground. It was uh, a lot of clay where I grew up, but man, we uh, we had had the uh, the little red uh, radio flyer wagon, mm-hmm. you know, metal with the metal wheels, and you know that was back in the old days. I don't know how many days. Billions of times I filled that thing with rocks and hauled it up the hill because it was down, you know, and we had to bring it up. And oh. It's just as much work to haul the rocks down there to fill it back in. <laughs> well, they were just throwing it. That's a lot of rocks. They chopped down all the trees. Yep. It was kind of like, uh, like uh, Lord of the Rings, right. you know, when uh, Saruman, you know, rips all the trees out and he's, you know, Sorry, Hobbit geek. My bad. I don't think it's said in here, but like, how many against how many do you think was actually going on here? I I don't recall ever reading that. I don't know. Were there thousands or? You'd have to think so. Hundreds. Well, they had uh, seven hundred that tried to break out of the city. That's for the Moabites. Right, right. And so I don't know. You know, that was just the ones that tried to break away and and fight through. That's that so was the Moabites had every man, young and old, who yeah. could bear arms. Yeah, but this was seven hundred swordsmen. I don't know if that means professional. You know, 
soldiers. Actual fighters, or, you know, I don't know. I don't know, between the three kings, how many soldiers? It, it doesn't say, we don't know that. It doesn't that. say. No. So, you know, I don't know. But they rushed out to, to loot them, and the Israelites weren't dead. They attacked them, chased them back into their own cities, destroyed the cities, made it impossible for the Moabites to get water filled in their wells. You know, basically ravaged the whole area. But uh, they couldn't, uh, they didn't destroy the capital city where, you know, they, uh, they had surrounded it and they were attacking it. What's it say they were attacking? I just, it just made me, my head turn sideways because it says they were armed with slings. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. What the heck? I think they're those kind of slings that go like this, right? Well, I'm just saying, I mean, you know, yeah. they were fighting a war. They, they had, you know. Slings. Yeah, with slings? I I don't know. And, and, and I didn't find anything about it. But, you know, they, uh, they surrounded the capital city armed with slings. And they fought well enough, uh, you know, so that the king and 700 men couldn't get through when they tried to escape. I mean, well, they were actually trying to get through. Maybe that's where all the rocks were. Yeah, yeah. they were, yeah. Throwing them slings. Well, they were trying yeah. to get through them back on their land. Right, right, we're going to get to that, yeah. Why was he trying to get through to Edom? Doesn't really say, does it? Uh, did, you, you assume that you assume that he knew that they were fighting with Israel and Judah, right? You, you assume that, but I guess it doesn't say for sure, does it? Well, they knew there were multiple kings because well, right. they thought they had fought each yep. other. Yeah, uh, but you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, maybe he had hoped to persuade the king of Edom to switch sides and help him. You know, and he had a lot of sheep and a lot of wolves had heard that the kings had come to fight against right. them, so maybe right. they heard it was all three. Maybe. Uh, or maybe maybe they thought it was multiple, just two, you know, Israel and Judah. And maybe you know, they thought and they Edom didn't know could that. be persuaded yeah, I don't to know. turn against them. Perhaps he thought that Edom, you know, and, and their army would be weaker than the other armies because they were under Judah at the time, kind of, and, and so, you know, they maybe would have been easier to defeat. Uh, or maybe they would have been uh, less wholeheartedly into it uh, because they were fighting for someone else, you know, as opposed to themselves. Like, because they were coming along with somebody, they weren't, you know, they were told to be a part of it rather than, uh, you know. Anyway, whatever. They failed. They couldn't get through. And so this king of Moab was really desperate. And he took his oldest son, who would have been the next in line to be king of Moab, and killed him in public, sacrificed him right there on the city wall where everybody could see, including the army that had him surrounded, right? He, uh, he sacrificed his oldest son to his god called Shimash. Definitely not father of the year material. I, you know, I don't think that I'm a perfect dad all the time. But so far, I haven't sacrificed any of my kids out in front of my house. <laughs> so far. This <clears throat> well, religion is working for you then. Yeah, well, I think so. <laughs> uh, you know, what in the world? I know, I blew me away when I read that. So. Yeah. The, you know, 
I, I guess the king of Moab hoped by doing this he would get help from his God. You know, he said they sacrificed it to, uh, to uh, Chemosh, who, you know, the problem was uh, he's not real. You know, he's an idol. Uh, but what a gruesome, horrible thing to do right there, out in front of everybody. I mean, boom, here you go. It seems to have motivated his people, though. Well, and that's the thing, yeah. Uh, it showed his people how desperate he was or, you know, how devoted he was to keep from losing uh, perhaps it did, uh, you know, spur them on, embolden them, or whatever. Look at the price he's willing to pay—not only his son, but back here in chapter three, when it was one hundred thousand lambs. And if that's just the tax, right? If you have that many sheep, think about how many people you're supplying. So there's going to be. This is a huge war, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. huge, huge. Yeah, you got uh, you got a lot of people in this uh, in this kingdom of Moab but uh, you know I'm thinking I'm thinking there could have been three things that this uh, this could have uh, said to uh, the three kings who were fighting together either that he was so crazy that they couldn't possibly completely defeat them because he was just you know a whack job and there was no way that uh, that they were going to be able to completely, you know, win this thing because this guy was just whacked. Uh, so they left because they were content with, you know, the damage that they did. Uh, sick at seeing this. I mean, here's this guy standing out here in front of, you know, God and everybody, uh, you know, killing his son on the wall so that you know, they could win. It was, you know, this horrible, senseless human sacrifice. And, you know, obviously it does say, how does it put it, that they, uh, uh, let me scroll back up here. Uh, the fury against Israel was great, so they obviously came out and continued fighting after that, uh, you know, with in, increased, you know, our king, look what he just did. Let's go out and get these guys, uh, you know. But uh, yeah, ugh, so they just go home. Here, here's here's another thought. Wendy smiles when I say that. Why? Why? <laughs> you just never know. Uh-huh. Time travel. <laughs> uh, do you think? No, I don't think it was time travel this time. <laughs> do you think that they were possibly, maybe, afraid of what this god Shimash might be able to do? Here's why. Uh, they were familiar with worshiping false gods. Israel, right? I mean, uh, they had their own sacrifices. They had their own things that they, they were doing, you know, not to the Lord God, but to other gods and idols. Were they concerned that maybe this guy was something that they would have to worry about? I don't know. I'm not getting that. I'm getting that during this time, I mean, as bad as it sounds mm-hmm. to sacrifice your son, right? It's nothing compared to in the next couple of chapters where right. they boil their kids and eat them like right. Soup. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think because you guys are not living under the Mosaic Law, they've got their own set of rules. Mm-hmm. And I think to sacrifice their own children probably wasn't all that big of a deal to them. 
So I don't think it was because he was Looney Tunes or crazy that they went back. Do you really think it was, wasn't that big a deal? I don't think so back well, then. because I think that was the norm for all those well, I know, but I think if your kids messed when up. When we look back at that, we go, the penalty, for, the penalty for <laughs> disobedience is right, right. was death. If you look at Gehazi in the next couple of chapters, right, yep, yep. because he lied, mm -hmm. oh, he played with leprosy for the rest of right. his life and his whole family. Yep. So I don't think yeah. so much that... You know, we do today. I mean, oh, I we just couldn't fathom it. Not, not even at, at my, you know, most intense fits of angriness at the All stupidity that my kids could do. Right. Oh, yeah, it was and brutal. That yeah. was, that was mm -hmm. a normal practice in all of the cultures. I mean, that was a normal practice in Abraham's time. Right, right. I mean, and you know, he tried to do it. Anybody who did idol he worship, was willing to do it. that yeah. was part of the practice of idol worship, was sacrificing mm -hmm. your children. Just, Which is, I don't, oh get. My don't gosh. get that at all. Uh, no, not even a little bit. Not even when, you know, I'm so fed up I can't even see straight. I think they were so extreme the other way now, was love them through some of their bad behavior. You know? kind, of, kind of like God does us? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why I think it's because we know about grace, mm -hmm. and we know about love, we know about forgiveness. That this is just so These kids are barbarians. Right, yeah. I mean, they're just so barbarians. Here's the thing that I question about this. Yeah. Elisha had said God was going to give them every fortified city mm -hmm. and every major town. Mm -hmm. And yet, they walked away from one of the last one. Mm -hmm. The last one, yeah. And so it makes me wonder if it wasn't just not only what you say, fear, mm -hmm. but doubt. Mm -hmm. Because God had given them a promise through Elisha. And what would have happened if they hadn't quit? Mm -hmm. You know what? We don't know, do we? No. Because we God had promised them every one. Right. So oh, yeah. if they yeah. wouldn't have quit, mm -hmm. that tells me they could have had the city. Right. And maybe they gave up just... A little bit too soon. We don't ever do that, do we? That's the story throughout this whole book. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's march around the wilderness throughout eternity before we get into the promised land. <laughs> yeah. Paul says, if you're going to be in the race, race to win. Stay in and fight the good fight. Don't bail out because yeah. you won't get the prize at all. I mean, we get almost to the finish line and we bail every time. It's well, our nature. So. I can't finish. Yeah, I'm too tired. It's not worth it. Right? Yeah, we sabotage ourselves every time. Yeah. Maybe for fear of success. Who knows? Oftentimes it's like, what's up? Right. I mean, what would I do if I was successful? Maybe they the just promises. decided God, the price God wasn't worth it. They paid enough, and they just didn't want to pay, do any more. I mean, take any more costs on their own shoulders for this war. Good enough versus everything. You know what I mean? Settling. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a good word for it. Yeah. Either way, we got no clue because the story ends right there. Maybe. Just stops. We don't know. I know. This is what's weird about this. It just this book of Kings is just switches gears. They, like, they just go back. And say okay. Yeah, and, no, it's they, they just they just go back. And and then it jumps to you know something completely different. Elisha's hanging out again, right? Look, we're at chapter four. We've gone through two. And three tonight. That's pretty great. And we're going to get into four. This is awesome. You to pat yourself on the back. Yeah. Take <laughs> every pat you can get. Nah. You know, because. I, I notice a lot, I think specifically in the book of Kings. Yeah. 
they always refer to the person they're talking to as a certain person. Like, there's a certain woman, or, oh, right, yeah, and they yeah. do in Acts too. But I mean, it's like and a certain man named Demetrius. Like sure. Yeah. Well, one named, particular you yeah, know, guy named Demetrius because. You know, a, a a certain guy named Mike that I know, yeah, uh, because guy. I know like six Mikes, yeah. you know, and so you know it's got to be one. Which one, you know? So, yeah, so. it's just the the language, and I wonder what that uh, translation is for certain. Mm-hmm. It's just got to be in there a lot. Certain dude, I know. A dude. Yeah. The, the dude. <clears throat> so. Chapter 4. Should we start Chapter 4 or just bail on it? No, let's get started. We'll go through at least the first uh, first little section here. Oh, yeah. We can do that. Theoretically, we should be able to do that in 15 minutes, right? To where? Or just do the first seven verses. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's give it a shot. Right. You know. So, uh, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. It doesn't say where this is going on, does it? He had been, uh, you know, he had been in Bethel. And then where did it say that he went after that? He went, uh, yeah, and then he went into uh, Samaria, didn't he? Yeah, Samaria. Yeah. And then wherever he was when the kings came to see him, it, it doesn't say, but uh, you know, so this this lady's got some issues going on, and she wants some help. Verse two says, Elisha replied to her, "How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing here at all." She says, "Except a small jar of olive oil." Elisha said, "Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask just for a few." Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Yeah, it doesn't, uh, doesn't tell us, you know, where or who the husband was or anything like that. One tradition says that the widow was the wife of Obadiah, that, uh, that was back in 1 Kings, uh, who had hidden the hundred prophets so that King Ahab couldn't find them. If that were the case, you know, the, the theory goes uh, Obadiah could have received money to get food to help feed these prophets because he was taking care of them. And then, you know, whoever Who gave says it. says her husband was actually one of the prophets, though. Right. So. So, I don't know if Obadiah was actually one of the prophets or just someone. Right. Else. And, you know, we had talked about earlier when, he, when Elijah was going around to see these groups of prophets that, uh, that, you know, they weren't necessarily prophets as prophets like Elijah or Elisha, but, uh, you know, uh, a, a group of people who were following God as opposed to the, you know, surrounding community. And they were, you know, kind of uh, groups of believers or, you know, and, and they could have been prophetic as well. But, you know, we don't hear a lot from them or, or anything. So we don't know exactly what all they did. 
And, and this was just, you know, one tradition and the theory behind it. Uh, we don't know, but who... Huh? In the NIV, it refers, in chapter 2, right before Elijah gets taken, it keeps talking, it, it has this phrase, the company of the prophets. Right, the company yep. of the prophets. And, and that's what I was talking about. And that's about. the same yep. phrase that, mm-hmm. she, that is used here in the mm-hmm. NIV. It says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, it was one of those groups. Right. Do they have a company sure. of prophets in every town, and there are the prophets for that town? Or? And, you know, that that's a possibility. Uh, or, you know, like I said, it could be the people that were believing, you know, and, and, and as the company of the prophets, or uh, in some, where, where, you know, I'd have to scroll all the way back up and try to find it, because uh, I can't remember off the top of my head uh, when we were originally, well, let me see if I can find it. When we were originally talking about that, that was in chapter two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was before. That was before the Baldy thing. Yeah. The first Christian. Because here it says the company of the prophets at Bethel, and right, then it says right, the company yep. of the prophets at Jericho. Right. And so it's like, are they, is it yeah. the same company or is it a different company? <laughs> right. Uh, and it says, you know, the, it, it could have meant. Uh, that you know when it says the company of the prophets uh, it could have been groups that were loyal to uh, or you know being taught by because they kept obviously kept going back to these same groups of people uh, you know go back and, and being taught by and adhering to the stuff that these prophets were saying um, you know in the original language uh, it says the sons of the prophets which, you know, son, not necessarily biological, but, uh, you know, sons in their, you know, coming up under, yeah, disciples are coming up under your teaching. So, you know, I think that that probably fits, uh, you know, through this whole, through this whole section. but you know, either way, whoever this, uh, this guy that was with, the, with this group was, um, he died and owed money and the people he owed it or the person he owed money to wanted paid back. And it must have been someone Elisha knew of or knew. Right, yeah. He says, you know he right. heard the Lord. Mm-hmm. So and if they were in the group of the prophets, yeah. you know, he would, he would, you know, like we said, they kept going back to these same towns, these same people. So yeah, I'm sure he would have known who the most of these people were and, and had a relationship with them because he did keep going back in each town. Uh, we see actually later that he goes back and forth between uh, you know a couple of towns regularly. So uh, yeah, he, he knew who that was. And we don't know who uh, who the money was owed to, but we do know that they, they wanted it uh, back. And you know, there was a lot of poor widows in those days. Um, it was a brutal time and, you know, all sorts of disease. And, you know, in Luke, Jesus said, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. You know, and uh, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine. So, you know, it was just common knowledge that there were a lot of people that didn't have much and a lot of widows and, uh, you know, wars, you know, over, over sheep and, and what have you. And uh, if rulers, the people over the town, you know, weren't particularly uh, nice and, and were evil rulers, 
uh, you know, when, when things got hard and there wasn't much food and there wasn't a lot to go around, do you think they were really concerned about, uh, you know, the rabble in the streets or would they have been more concerned about taking care of themselves and their own comfort and, you know, taking all they could get? So times were hard. Uh, people would have to borrow to get enough food to keep, you know, their family alive or whatever. And if uh, the people couldn't pay back those loans, they or their children would, would be taken, you know, as slaves in payment of the debt. So uh, the widow was desperate. I don't, you know, one, she's got some sons. The sons, you had to have sons because the sons would take care of the mother after the dad died. You know, the sons were the ones that were property owners or, you know, the like that, the women, the widows had nobody protect them, nobody to take care of them, nobody, you know, uh, in society that uh, that was, you know, they're covering, basically. And so that was, that was hard on them and dangerous to it. Um, so she didn't want to lose her sons. Obviously, she was a little bit better than the king of Moab, right? But... Uh, um, she was desperate. A lot of people, when they're desperate, you know, they still might not ask God for anything. But uh, but this woman seemed to have faith in God. She was with this group of prophets, you know, that were, were following God and, and loyal to Him. Uh, and, uh, you know, she must have trusted Him to help her too. Completely at the end of your rope, what else are you going to do? The king of Israel, when he was at the end of Israel without any water, he didn't go to the God of the bulls, did he? He went to, to God. So, Same thing here. She went to Elisha, uh, and uh, she trusted that God would give him uh, the power and the answer to help her. And what did God say to her? He said he would help her, right? Uh, all she had was one small jar of oil, but God was going to use, we've heard this so many times, haven't we? But God's going to use what she had to, uh, to help her. What did God ask Moses when he was, you know, at the burning bush? And he says, you're going to, you know, do all this stuff. What did he say? He said, what do you have in your hand? Right? Just, just my staff. I'm, you know, he's been watching sheep. I've got my staff. Uh, when Jesus fed the multitude, what did he ask? He asked the disciples, what do we got? Right? Yeah. He always requires something of us. He, he always wants us to be involved, to, to use what we have to do what He's going to do. Then He takes what we have and does something completely insane. Uh, you know, something that we could never do on our own. Uh, but for Him to be able to do that, we have to be willing to offer or give up what we have to Him. And, and we have to trust Him and believe that what He has in store for us uh, is actually better than what we have right now. And, uh, you know, and a lot of times like this, we have to trust Him publicly, too. I mean, it's not just a case of, you know, oh, yes, I trust you, Lord. You know, He told the, he told the woman to go out and get jars from all her neighbors. Get a bunch of jars, not a few jars, right? Go and borrow all the jars you can. I'm sure the neighbors knew what kind of condition she was in. They might not have been in a much better condition. You don't know where she lived while it's going on. But, uh, you know, uh, he, she had to publicly go and, and get this stuff from, from her neighbors and, and borrow. 
Uh, and then, you know, he told her to fill those jars with olive oil from her little bitty jar. Then she could sell it and she could pay the debt and they would, uh, they would have enough to live on. How big was her faith? I think she had big faith. I do too. And I was going to ask you about that because during these times when, like even the kings would consult the prophets, right. and we know that until Jesus died out, we couldn't die, we couldn't go directly to the throne of God mm -hmm. because for the atonement of their sins when they got to that part, they would send the priest into the Holy of Holies to right. atone for their sins. Sure. They can. This woman couldn't just ask God on her own. She had to go through Elijah. Well, he was, yeah, he was. Yeah. That was the way. Mm -hmm. So unless you knew somebody that had this relationship with God, you were kind of like, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. But I would think, Is, isn't that isn't that how people now find him? Through, through people that know him? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. And I think there was times, you know, when I was young, I cried out to him, but I, I'd be like, you got to show me that you're real and just move that star right there. Sure. You know, I put him to these foolish tests, but, uh, you know, later on. Oh, none of the rest of us have ever done that. But, I mean, like, if, if you were real, you know, yeah. and he has so much power. I mean, we're talking, you know, we're reading Acts, we're just... One of the apostles' handkerchiefs has enough power yeah. to heal something. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed. So my shadow passes across the body. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. But, yeah. We have to. Yeah. So the widow believed she had faith. If she had gotten more jars, would she add more oil? I think so. I think so, probably, but she had plenty. She, God supplied more than enough to pay her debt. Boys. So either the boy got tired of getting jars. <laughs> well, a kid. Let's see. You send your kids to go. Yeah, you know that could have been part of the or problem they really too. Used up everything That's right. But you know what? She believed. She obeyed, and got supplied. Didn't they? In that situation, they probably used up everything they ever had because a kid being part of something like oh, yeah. that would get all excited by what was happening. And, that, that's and I know with my grandkids, possible. when something fun happens, it's like, oh yeah, let's go. Oh yeah, let's go. Let's go do this. Let's go. And they want to do more. They yeah, don't want to yeah. do less. That's true. That's true. In that kind yeah. of situation. But how about when Philip went to that woman and says, who do you got to eat? And she was down to her last thing, and after that, they were going to die. Yeah. yeah. He gave it to her. Yeah. That was Elijah, wasn't it? Uh, that was. It was one of the prophets. Yeah, it was. Elijah that wasn't the New Testament. That was that was what Elijah, was wasn't it? Elijah. I thought Philip Elijah. got carried away in with that woman's house. Or was it Elijah? Maybe oh, he man. traveled in time from there back really? into the Old Testament. Oh, I'm just teasing you. I thought he got swept away. He was well, he did get swept away. He did, and yeah. then he found himself another time. Yeah. Didn't the bird bring food? I think I got a different character. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you got several of them. Little stories. But you know what? God took care of all of it, didn't he? Right. That's great. Hey, thanks. Pastor John will be back tomorrow night sometime. So. Well, thank you very much. He'll be back next week and he can take over from verse 8 or 9. I'm just glad to hear that everything went smoothly. Yep.